Rebirth of Venus. I'm Caitlin Matanley, and I'm a spiritual mindset coach, a personal development junkie, an all-around Venus worshiper, and a powerful witch. I'm here to talk dirty about evolution, revolution, and how to embody the archetype of Venus, original bad bitch, every damn day. Thanks for listening. honest with you. Average, and I put that in air quotes, people have told me that my choices are reckless, impulsive, erratic, and irresponsible. (laughs) But if you're in my world, I know you don't want an average life. You want an extraordinary one. So why are you taking the fear-filled actions of the normals? There's another path, and it's for badasses only. Because change doesn't have to take a long time unless you want it to. In my upcoming four-week course, The Chariot, I teach you all of my practical and spiritual secrets for rapid transformation. So in the course, we get spiritual as fuck while bringing it into the real world where the normal people live. Because after all, let's face it, we have to live here too. So this round of The Chariot is a live course, which means you get coached by me as you work towards manifesting an epic quantum leap in the area of your choosing by summer's end. It's like the ultimate summer glow up for your whole damn life. In the course, you get access to four live classes plus a bonus live Q&A, four powerful workbooks that get you clarity on the exact steps to take to get from here to where you want to be fast. You get four meditations and energy work techniques to embody and a private coaching group, as well as a lot more. I'm an over-deliverer. There's so much good shit in this course. You're going to love it. And plus, if you're not convinced already, there are awesome painful bonuses and a hella affordable payment plan available if you'd like to join the course. So to find out more, to see if the chariot is right for you, you can click the link in the show notes or head to rebirthofvenus.com slash the chariot. Join today and you'll get immediate access to the bonus pre-work. And the pre-work, it's two of my digital courses that you can buy separately. They're yours totally free to get started. They'll teach you amazing variety of mindset shifting techniques, empowerment techniques that allow you to get into the space of rapid transformation before we even start the course. So we start 726, that's next Friday. And I don't want you to wait. I want you to get in right now, get started on the pre-work, Get started on your transformation and make this summer, the summer you go for it, the summer you stop making excuses for not being where you want to be and the summer that you make a big fucking change because I know you're ready and I know you're capable of it. So join the chariot today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rebirth of Venus. Today, I'm here with Odetta Dangerfield from Live and Burn Candles. Odetta is an amazing, amazing artist who actually has created the custom carved spell slash prayer slash intention candles that I'm giving away as my painful bonus for this round of the chariot. She creates these amazing, amazing candles using the images of the tarot as well as other magical images 
to create really one-of-a-kind pieces of art that you can also use in your magical practice. And with these kinds of candles, I, I say prayer slash intention slash spell candles because they can really be used in a variety of ways. And I can't wait to talk to Odetta today about candle magic, about how to use candle for intention and in ritual, regardless of your perspectives on magic, on witchcraft, on any of these beautiful practices, these beautiful spiritual practices that we talk about on this show. So thank you for joining us, Odetta. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Caitlin. All right. So I would love to start talking with you about your evolution as an artist. So everyone, I've known, I've known Odetta for what has it been like six years now? I would say at least six years. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So we actually originally met at a fire performance and hula hoop retreat. So that just speaks to one of Odetta's many, many creative interests. But I would love to talk to you, Odetta, about how you evolved as an artist, how you got started in art. I know it's been a lifelong practice for you. And how your vision, your creative vision has changed over the years. Yeah. So let's see. Um, you know, I've always... I've always been a person who has taken a lot of joy or gotten a lot of joy out of being creative and expressing myself. And I really do think that the one of the earliest ways this manifested um, when I was younger was with writing. So when I was very, very little, I used to tell people I wanted to be an actor. But um, then something kind of shifted and happened. And I don't know if maybe it was like puberty or becoming more self-conscious, but um, that sort of shifted into writing, actually. And um, so so I was very expressive and um, poetic as a child, especially like into like preteen years. But it wasn't until maybe I was 13 years old that someone suggested to me and it actually was my uh, creative writing teacher I'll never forget him uh, Mr. Scarbo was his name and so uh, in this creative writing course that I was in we used to have to do in the beginning of our class five minutes of just free flow writing no, like no censorship whatever comes and then at the end of the unit you'd have to turn in your journals and so it's strange but it wasn't until I turned in my journal and he pointed it out to me that like most of my um, lined notebook was actually filled with drawings. And so he was the first person to say, you know, you might be interested in taking a visual art class. And so I took like my real first visual art class when I was 13. And um, from there, you know, my love for art, visual arts in particular just kind of grew. Um, but you know, in the development of my identity as an artist, I've really had a hard time in a way confining myself to a certain medium or sort of labeling myself as a certain type of artist. Um, and so I, what I like to, or my, my, my theory around it is that when I have an idea in my mind, I use the material that best serves that idea. So in that sense, I'm really well-versed with a variety of mediums. So I did end up pursuing art, and I attended um, art school uh, at 
Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, where I learned so much. Um, one of the things that I often was, you know, sort of criticized for in art school was not really confining myself to a certain modality. And so with that, you know, I had a lot of passions, a lot of interests, not, you know, painting. That was what I ended up really um, studying intensely, but also printmaking as well. Art history, as you mentioned. Um, As I got older, I got more into sort of like expressing with my body, hula hooping. And I did, you know, I did play the viola for nine years. And so I, I do have a deep love of music as well. So um, I don't know. I think that um, more exposure to different type of mediums just helps you, you know, express the, the things that come to your mind um, more accurately in a sense. Because there are things that I, I want to express, but, you know, painting wasn't always the, the vehicle for that, I guess is the, the word that I'm saying or uh, what I'm looking for. And, um, so you're right. It it has been like a long journey, a long process. Um, in the most recent years though, I am a portrait painter. Um, I've always been really, really interested in the human form. Um, that's been a common theme in my work and I love watercolors. So that's something that sort of, um, developed later in life and really it developed out of a certain necessity because I did a lot of traveling as an adult and um, and it just so happened that watercolors and micron pens were the easiest things for me to travel with and I would do a lot of on-site plein air painting um, and this just seemed like the most practical and then and so after years of working with this medium it's actually my preferred choice at, at the moment right um, I think there's still more to be um, explored, but that's kind of a a pretty good summary of my my many interests in um, art. (laughs) I love that. One thing you said really stood out to me, which is that you, it it was really such like a Venusian approach to art, I felt, where you said, as I, I, I get the idea and whatever medium best serves the idea I use to bring that idea, this is my paraphrase, into the world. And I loved that because I agree that most people do, or are rather are pressured, especially if they have attended art school. I, I attended many classes in art school um, when I was in high school. And I definitely agree that people really want you to focus on a medium when in reality, when the muse strikes, it's not always going to say this needs to be painted. So I really love that. And to everyone listening, I agree with this completely about Odetta's work because there've been many times we used to be neighbors that I would go over to her home and I would see just like a, a million different projects happening at once. Like she'd be carving like soap into beautiful crystal formations and creating like these amazing decorative crowns and and also like doing a painting and all these things. And I just think that's such an organic view of the creative process because I don't believe that when we create that it has to be centered into certain 
you know, disciplines. So I really, really love that. So in your recent work, you have been using a lot of sort of magical symbolism. So the symbols of the tarot and other symbols. And I would love to hear from you how you started how you started bridging that gap, I suppose, between art and your magical and spiritual practices. Um, So let me backtrack. (laughs) Let me backtrack, actually. I would love to hear when you started getting into what I call magic and then how that informed the art you were creating. Hmm. That's a really, really good question. And I, it's making me think of a lot of things right now, but, um, hmm. Okay, so I here's the thing. I think that so I'm also an art therapist and um I've studied you know Carl Jung and Jungian psychology and and then even in my work with people, my very intense one-on-one work, one-on-one work with people, you know, uh you know as an art therapist, you're sort of you're the facilitator, you're sort of scaffolding um their experience in a way, but they're the ones who are creating the meaning and the symbolism and the metaphor. And so I think that, you know, kind of a part of your question is that like, I've always really appreciated uh, like using metaphor and working in the metaphor. And I do think that when you're someone who creates consistently, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, once you have a quote unquote body of work or or once, once you have enough, you can sort of stand back and look and you might see these things that start to emerge like these, um, repeating, repeating symbols, um, whether it be like a certain color palette or quite literally images that, that come up and resurface time and time again. And so, you know, it was through like a lot of my own personal work that I I saw my own personal set of symbolism emerge. But then also in working in such like diverse groups of people and populations and getting to know people on such a personal level, you know, when they, they allow you to see that part of themselves. I realized how important, you know, this, um, you know, you can use the word magic for sure. I think everyone has this certain type of uh, hidden magic within them. And so it's just the, the more you produce these creative types, like uh, types of work, whatever it is, you know, whether it just might, it doesn't even have to be like paintings, you know, it can quite literally be the way that you organize your space you might notice you tend to like this more than that um it really tells you a lot about yourself and so um I think that even like that's kind of what's really that pushed me even further into this realm and then using these archetypes and these more general um like uh, metaphors that resonate with people for multiple reasons on multiple levels from different places around the earth, like I really started to explore these symbols. And so, um, you know, within the past couple of years, I've really, so I got my first tarot deck in college actually. Um, and 
But it wasn't until like the past couple of years that I really, really started to look intently on really trying to further my relationship with these symbols, my understanding of them, my perception of them, my relationship to them. And so creating artwork and incorporating these symbols into it was just almost like, um, like, I don't want to say using flashcards, but it was kind of similar. It's like the more I got familiar with these and um, symbols and work them into my own work, like I really started to um, to know them and memorize them in a way that it's like, you know, tarot decks, oracle cards, whatever, they come with a book, right? And like, that's really what I would rely on when I was, you know, doing readings in the past. But now I feel like um, just you know, feeling them even through my hand by drawing them, recreating them has really helped me learn them on a whole nother level. And, um, yeah, I've always really, really seen a a connection between art, uh, psychology, um, symbology, all of that. Tarot just really helped me appreciate it even more. I love that. And what I love most is what you're saying about, well, first of all, it's really interesting. I never thought about your work as an art therapist and that connection to, you know, the utilization of these archetypes, which are, were popular, not popularized, but were really um, discussed widely through the work of Carl Jung. And also what's interesting is that Carl Jung also specifically spoke on the tarot. And it's interesting because that's, you know, with all of my work with archetypes, I think about how they are these symbols of what Jung called the collective unconscious and how, you know, in my work with the tarot, especially my work using the tarot as a coaching modality, is that these symbols really serve to unlock sort of like remembrances inside of us. And I loved what you said about how drawing them helped you really internalize those archetypes and those symbols. You know, in a lot of the traditional images of the tarot, there are so many hidden symbols. And I could absolutely see how drawing them and, you know, rethinking and redesigning them would really help you get a clear understanding of their meaning. So when you started creating, um, art with the symbols of the tarot, what made you decide to use candles as a means of expressing those archetypes? Hmm. Hmm. Um, Well, uh, gosh, I mean, that's a really loaded question. I mean, here's the deal. So I was first introduced to candle carving, um, maybe about two years ago. So this is a relatively new practice for me. Um, But, you know, I just felt like even, so even before I start carving symbols into candles, um, I would just practice with candles in general. And so like a lot of that might, would be based around color, you know, and, you know, I think color is also very personal too. Of course, there's, you know, lots of different articles and graphs you can pull up online and all that will tell you like, you know, certain colors correspond with certain things, right? But I do think that it that's a very personal choice as well. So 
I, I would work with candles and, and sort of a basic sense like that. But then when I realized, oh, wow, like I can take this even further. I can literally carve my intention into this candle. I can anoint it with whatever I want. It just kind of furthered the process even more. And um, I kind of just, uh, I, I took it and I ran with it and I was, I'm more than pleased in the journey that I've been on with it. Um, I, like you mentioned, I've been doing lots of tarot candles, but you know, but even before tarot candles, I started with sigils, carving personal sigils into candles. And then, so, yeah, so even, um, before I began the tarot candles and before I began carving my own personal sigils into candles, um, I would, I would hide sigils in my paintings. Um, and so there's, so there's one card that followed me around for a while. That was the Knight of Swords. And so I remember one of my earliest paintings of doing this practice, I created my own version of the Knight of Swords with me there on the horse, um, riding forth. And I painted my sigil underneath the finer, final layer. layer. So I knew what was uh, hidden in that painting and I knew the meaning for me, but anybody else looking at it, you know, wouldn't have known. And so I, um, I would keep these paintings around me for a specific amount of time, you know, whatever I deem necessary. And it was sort of just like a, a visual reminder, you know, how, how some people might put like, you know, daily affirmations or surround themselves with really empowering quotes. That's sort of what I would do with my paintings um, and sigils. So anyhow, um, I was introduced to candle carving and sigil work um, from a very, very magical person. Her name's Veronica Varlow, and I'm forever indebted to her because she's the one who passed on the practice to me. And um, once I learned that, oh, I, you know, I can I can put sigils in my candles, not just my paintings. It it just you know it it took a whole new turn. I love that. I because I've actually used sigils a lot in my own paintings, and it just like like you, it was just sort of an organic thing. Like I had I had worked with sigils in my magical practice, but to me it was just like, oh, it makes sense to put them into paintings or I like I even have them in tattoos you know these other means of sort of charging them and I've also learned a lot about sigil practice from Veronica and I love how you really allowed your intuition to create your magical practice and then you built on that with things you learned from others you know I'm always saying that that's really how you develop a magical practice that is true to you and that actually in my opinion this is like I'm not going to open up this can of worms really, but it actually is in line with your own magical lineage because we have, you know, psychic awareness of the lineage we come from, even if we never knew the people involved. So I really love hearing about how your work with magical symbols in your art practice started with the practice of sigils. I, I so agree with you because I think that, you know, formulas and 
spell books and you know the things that they they like really help you maybe get started they might they like help you lay the foundation but you know that's that's kind of what I think candles like do for me in a sense because um you know you're right you everyone has their own intuitive way of practicing but it's just about um getting into that space that psychological space that will sort of allow you to tap into that and even just granting yourself permission. Like I feel that, I mean, this might be a tangent in itself, but I feel like when we're children, um, these things come naturally to us. And then, you know, maybe over time we become acclimated to the adult world, what's acceptable, what's not. And like, you know, some people may grow distant, um, from these natural intuitive ways, but, um, I just, I so agree with you because I feel like in that, and that's where candles really came in for me because I feel like uh, candles, uh, even if I hadn't carved a sigil and they just like setting up that, that psych, that space, that environment that would then allow me to sort of tap in and then just sort of going from there and, and granting myself permission to experiment and to go along and, and maybe not judge, not criticize in the moment. And you never know what like amazing things you'll, you'll end up doing just sort of naturally. Exactly. I mean, the most powerful spells are the ones that you create from the intuition. And sure, there's nothing wrong with getting guidance from others or, you know, hell, I've been known to like Google a uh, spell for blah, blah, <laughs> because sometimes I just feel like creatively stuck, but I always use them as jumping off points. And I remember clearly when I was younger and I was sort of getting into my own magical practice in a very intuitive way, I was around 13, actually maybe even earlier, 12. And it was interesting because I picked things up here and there, both intuitively and in like the couple of books I had access to. But I remember even then really looking at a lot of what was being told me and some of it, you know, resonating and some of it not. And it was when I received my first witch book of my own, shout out to Teen Witch by Silver Ravenwolf. <laughs> no offense to no offense, no offense to Silver, but actually I read that book and I was like a little disappointed, I remember, because it's a book about Wicca. So Wicca being a religion has a lot of rules and dogma. And I don't say that with judgment. It's just, you know, how it is that really didn't resonate with me personally. And I was like, Oh, but what about all the stuff I've been doing intuitively? Is that wrong? And I started worrying. And it wasn't until later that I finally realized that I was actually stepping into my power by trusting my intuition. And that's what I recommend to people now, rather than blindly following any set of rules and dogma that doesn't necessarily feel like it resonates with them. All, all that does is just really dilute your own inherent magic the word that comes to my mind is like spontaneity. And I think there is something very powerful about the things that happen. Maybe they seem spontaneous or they arise in that moment. Um, but I really do feel like the, the most powerful magic that I've, I've conjured has really been in like a moment of spontaneity, but stillness with myself. Oh, I absolutely love that. I agree. I think that spontaneous moment is like where all the fire is, you know, not just the fire of candles, but it really is that metaphorical lighting of the match and lighting the candle wick that is you, that is your power and using that to 
you know, create change. So I would love to talk to you now about your own intersection between the creative process and ritual work. So I think of the creative process of creating a piece of art as inherently ritualistic. And I would love to hear from you if that's something you have noticed intentionally as you've used, as you've more intentionally begun to use your art practice as your spiritual practice. Um, what, what, what for you is that connection and what are the similarities or the differences between your traditional creative practice and your more ritualistic, magical creative practice? Hmm. Oh gosh, you're making me think of something actually. Um, oh my gosh. And it's actually something I wish I could forget, but so you're making me think about this one time and I was a, I was a senior. I was in art school. I was getting ready to graduate. And anyways, we all had our own little studio spaces. And I remember one day, like I had like a, I had like a blank canvas in front of me and I was just sitting down. I was painting and, you know, my professor at the time came around and it was like, this is what she said. She said, I don't get it. It's like you've forgotten how to paint. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she was like, it's not that easy. You just don't sit down and start painting. And so those words have always stuck in my mind because I think that they they implied that there was a lot of planning involved. And I'm not saying that, you know, I haven't made paintings before that required a lot of planning. I think that's what sort of might be the difference for me between the more spiritual ritualistic and then something that's a little more uh, in the vein of, okay, I know people are going to see this. And so therefore I'm trying to convey this. So, so for me, I really, I teeter, I have two different art practices and ritual practices where I think like, this is just for me. No one's going to see it. Like, and that, and that's kind of like when I'm doing my own candle magic, I'm setting up my altar, I'm being really specific. It doesn't mean that I don't plan. Like, obviously there's some planning involved, but it's a little bit different than maybe in my painting work where I might make a couple of sketches. I might play with the composition. Oh, I like horizontal better. Or I like this vertical, like what canvas size serves us better. I just feel like there's maybe a lot more planning involved in that sense. And in, in that type of work, I'm always kind of hyper aware. Someone is going to see this when I'm finished. Whereas with like my more ritualistic um, practices, which are, which are also artistic because I really do like to make what I'm doing like very visual, visually pleasing to me, but the magic is really in the moment and things are constantly changing and I'm never really quite, um, it's like when I burn a candle, I'm not really concerned with the way it looks like when I'm done burning it. Whereas with a painting, by the time I'm finished with it, I am quite concerned if it if it accomplished the visual goal I was going for or not, if if that kind of makes any sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. I love what you just said about the candle. That's so interesting to me. Yeah, because I think that the candle is um paintings most definitely have a life of their own and they will take you places. That's but I cannot really control how my candles burn. 
And like that kind of goes a lot into candle magic too, because a lot of people will interpret how their candle burns, um, how fast, all of that kind of stuff. And so the candle really kind of makes itself. Like obviously I do a lot and and preparing the candle with the images and the symbols and my intention and anointing it. And it's, you know, it's very, it's a whole ceremony, but um, it, it does most of the work for me in a lot of ways. Oh, I love that. How does most of the work for you? I, I, I utilize candle magic a lot and I, I love it because I guess maybe I am a pyromaniac, but <laughs> also I love, yeah, the ritual of um, anointing a candle or carving a candle if I choose to, of just watching it burn for a prolonged period of time. That alone, I mean, to the dismay of my boyfriend who really doesn't want me to leave candles burning. Um, even though I explain, like, it's in a sink and people have been doing this for a really long time. That's not good enough for him. But <laughs> I even the practice of like a candle, keeping it lit for a long period of time, it serves as a way of kind of, it serves as a way of key, of getting you out of the normal mental state of what is considered normal. And that's a big, big part of how magic works. And I would, do you have any candle magic tips for us? Or if you're open to it, would you be willing to share your process, even just generally, and what you've learned about how to use candles as a magical tool? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. So I think the most, I think kind of like I had said earlier, I think that when I very, when I start out, I do, um, I do start with color. I take color into consideration a lot with my candles. Um, so whatever it is, like whatever it is you're trying to invoke or, or manifest or conjure, like just, you know, obviously look, get inspiration from other people, of course. But then I think ultimately go with your gut feeling. You know, another way you could do it too, which I've done before multiple times, is just like when I go to the shops that I go to to get even like the little chime candles, those I don't really carve into as much, but I will put them on my altar. And so sometimes I won't even use my eyes. I will kind of, because the way the candles are arranged, they're kind of neatly all there. And I'll just kind of like close my eyes. Almost like if, so some people might draw a tarot card this way, but so sometimes I might just like, you know, say to myself my intention. And then sometimes I'll just kind of close my eyes and I'll, I'll let my hand and my feeling kind of guide me if I'm feeling maybe, you know, sometimes we might get too caught up on like making a decision. And, <laughs> and then in that case, you don't want to stress about it. So just kind of intuitively feeling into it. But um, most of the time I, I might know already what colors that I think um, sort of align with what it is that I'm doing. That's, I think, the most basic for for candle magic. Now, and so into taking it like a step further, I'll also incorporate different elements. So, you know, I carve the like traditional seven-day pull-out candles that like you mentioned, Caitlin, people will leave burning for an extended period of time. But, you know, um, so something else that I do too, which I haven't really um, talked about too much before, is like... I use floating candles too. If water happens to be very important to whatever it is that I'm doing at the time, 
I'll get a really, I use my grandmother's old candy dish because um, it's, it's very important to me and it's, it's beautiful. It's like this iridescent, uh, it has a pattern in it and I'll fill it with water and that might be water that has some sort of um, magic that I've infused in it with, you know, um, gemstones, sunlight, you know, you can bring in different elements and then, you know, I'll use floating candles. So that might be particular to a certain type of, um, you know, spell or that I'm casting. I, I love floating candles too. Um, and, uh, to, to go even further with the water element, I mean, you know, this is something I'm getting more familiar with. It's a little bit, um, it's very similar to, I think, I guess I kind of draw a parallel between, um, this and like, tea leaf reading but you know once you have your kind of bowl your special bowl with your magical water in it maybe you're not using floating candles but you're burning a candle at the time um if it's in a container or some sort you can sort of just you can pour the wax into the water and then interpret the wax so I know um, some people are very fluent in that. That's something I've really been um, branching into. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's multiple ways you can you can do that type of ritual work and and also incorporate different elements, not just fire, so to speak. That is such a cool idea that I I'm actually kind of mad I never thought about myself, <laughs> but I'm very happy you're teaching us now. I mean, I'm thinking in particular with prosperity magic. And I learned this from the episode with Amanda Gibby Peters of Simple Shui. She talked about how when you're feeling like you don't have enough of a flow with your finances, it's because you need more water in your space. And I love the idea of com- of bringing that water into the ritual for something like prosperity magic or any kind of magic where you feel that that it's necessary to tap into the flow of things, of manifestation, of, of really just, yeah, like tapping into the flow of things. It's really such a fun idea. And I'm also absolutely going to try the wax reading as well as picking my candles, picking my candles by feel. I really like that idea. I tend to use a lot of white or black candles because they can be used for a variety of uses and they either are all colors or are the absence of color. Um, so I really enjoy using, like playing with that concept with my own candle magic, but I'm absolutely going to try picking them from um, the feelings of my intuition, just like I would with a tarot card. That's such an interesting, fun idea. Yeah, absolutely. I could see maybe also if, so if you're working on like an abundance spell within your feeling, maybe like you need to incorporate water you could add some oils to that water and then pick out a certain specific floating candle that encompasses maybe it's green, maybe it's gold. Sometimes I even add glitter to the water. So when Ooh. it catches, yeah, when it catches the light of the candle, it really just like it brings you into a completely different place and you start to really appreciate and you just you can't help but get sucked into the moment because you just appreciate that little glimmer of light, you know? So I just you could do so much with that. I love it. This is 
I just, I love your approach to magic because it is so artistic and not it's artistic, but these are all things that any of us could do regardless of how artistic we consider ourselves. It's really tapping into the creative process and people forget that spell work is ultimately a creative practice and it is tapping into that energy of creation that allows you to build something new in your life. So that's so resonant to me in everything that you're sharing with us today. So to close out, Odetta, I would love to hear from you. Just what, what is something you want to share with the world? What else do we need to know about you and your work and your approach and philosophy to magic and life? as we go out after this, after this podcast episode? Wow. Well, if I speak to candle magic, I can also maybe think, you know, I could see this relating to different aspects too, but just, um, you're, you're not going to mess it up. I mean, that's kind of what I think. Like sometimes even I will, Oh, you know, I get really like, um, stressed out about details of a spell or something like, it's like, you know, you're not, you're not going to mess it up and really just feeling into it and, you know, trusting that, especially I think when it comes to magic, that um, you do have a, a sort of a guide that is wiser than you give it credit for. Oh, I love that so much. The beginner's luck is so real because like you said, you're not second guessing yourself. You're not second guessing your intuition in the same way. And I agree completely that you can't fuck it up. And that a lot, honestly, I, I see a lot of fear mongering in the magical community and in the communities of witchcraft, you know, right now, I see a lot of fear mongering about, you know, how you can't do this, you can't do that. And one of my own magical teachers, Carolyn Elliott, taught me that really the best way to, really the best way to figure out that you don't want something is to get it. And so instead of this, be careful what you wish for bullshit that a lot of us, you know, hear really, it's a matter of, you know, stay, stay true to your intention, create that change that you desire. And then you learn, we learn from our mistakes, our so-called mistakes. I don't really believe there are mistakes. We learn from doing things and not getting quite the results we expected. And it's much, much, much more valuable to accept this idea that you can't fuck it up. You can't make mistakes. And then you simply, you know, face whatever you receive in return, whether it's, you know, maybe a creative project that didn't turn out the way you expected that maybe you don't like, um, or maybe it's even a creative project that you found didn't turn out the way you wanted, but you actually love, or whether it's something in your deeper spiritual practice. So thank you for those amazing thoughts for us to close on today. And everyone listening, if you'd like to find out more about Odetta's work, click the link in my bio, you or in my in the show notes, rather, <laughs> link in bio, I'm so used to saying that on Instagram, click the link in the show notes to find out more about Odetta's work, you can connect with her on Instagram there as well. And you can also look at her Etsy shop of her amazing, amazing hand-carved candles. And if you're interested in receiving your own custom-carved chariot candle for your work, creating massive transformation, creating massive shifts, learning to really step up and embody the feeling of being in control of your life, of deciding what needs to be changed, 
and doing so in a rapid manner that allows you to create a life that you have dreamed of and maybe people have told you wasn't possible, but that deep down you always knew was possible and that you deserved. So I encourage you to check out my upcoming course, The Chariot, which is a four-week program designed to create massive rapid transformation in your own life. I give you all of my spiritual and practical tools for creating rapid personal transformation. And as a pay in full bonus, if you are one of our very limited number of spots of pay in full clients, you will receive a custom carved the chariot candle from Odetta that you can burn with your intentions as you do the work in the course. It's a beautiful, beautiful, one of a kind piece of art. And I know you're absolutely going to love the magic that that brings to your life. So check out the link in the show notes for that as well. And thank you all so much for listening. I can't wait to speak to you again later this week. And until then, as always, I encourage you to respond to this episode via the iTunes reviews in the podcast store. You can let me know what you thought of the episode and of the podcast or connecting with me on Instagram at rebirth underscore of Venus. I can't wait to talk to you all again. And I hope you have an amazing, amazing week. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, be sure to leave a five-star review in the Apple podcast app and share it with a friend. I would love to hear from you. Let's continue the conversation on Instagram. DM me at rebirth underscore of Venus. And be sure to grab your free ritual guide at rebirthofvenus.com.